Thank you for joining us today for the Gospel Light Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Lenentine. We are a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, gospel-centered church family located in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We are motivated to love God, grow together, and serve others. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. Now we hope you enjoy today's message from Pastor Brent Lenentine. Continuing on our series, as you'll see there, on the prodigal. So we would go then to Luke chapter 15. If you would find that now and turn to Luke chapter 15. Um, Just one message into it. And um, this one here, I think, is something that is very, very important Pray that the Lord would speak to our hearts now uh, from this and uh, to really help uh, and encourage us now as we would look uh, into God's word. And so the prodigal, and um, you'll find that. And let's stand together as we would read in chapter 15 and then verses 12 through 16. And you'll see that there on the screen. And so it says in Luke 15 and then in verse number 11, it says, And he said, as Jesus gives this parable, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, uh, and no man gave unto him. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you just bless and speak to our hearts now and help us and lead us now in this time, in this message, we pray, and we'd ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll look at this thing of the downward spiral, the downward spiral, spiral, spiral of sin. Uh, you'll have to forgive me now. Um, my tongue is hurting so bad, and that's what uh, was happening early there also. So hopefully as I get going, uh, it'll just be okay. We'll see. <clears throat> so, so John F. Kennedy Jr., and some of you might have heard of this, this story now that was on the news uh, at the time when it happened. Uh, He met his wife and his sister-in-law at the Essex Airport uh, in New Jersey. He was flying uh, his sister first to Martha's Vineyard, and then they were going on. He and his wife was going to the family compound in Hyannis Port uh, to join a wedding party. Uh, As he arrived at the airport, he was met then by his mechanic and the one who handled his plane for him, Kyle Bailey. Bailey also intended to fly to Martha's Vineyard, and he actually would have flown them on to there, but he uh, decided or, or canceled, actually, his intentions to fly because a cold front had moved in over the ocean on this hot summer day. And flying was going to be more difficult. Now, Kyle was a better pilot than, uh, than John Kennedy was. Uh, and so now, Kennedy, of course, wanted to cancel his own flight because he was very nervous. If uh, Kyle wouldn't fly, then certainly he had no business flying. But both of the women would not hear to it at all. They had plans and they were going to go and that's all there was to it. So they pressed him to do it. 
uh, and John John, as the family called him, uh, went ahead and made this trip. He was just certified to fly by instruments, but was still very unsure about how to do it. So they lifted off from the airport in their Saratoga plane at 8.38 p.m. At 9.34, Kennedy was flying at 5,800 feet. He should have been able to see the lights of Martha's Vineyard at this time, but the clouds were so thick that it obscured uh, his uh, vision ability to see. He became then very disoriented as he was flying, and he got a sudden attack that the pilots will call the black hole vertigo. What it does is it creates a three-way disconnection, a disorientation. You're disconnected with reason, instinct, and reality, which leads then to an inability to discern up from down, which is not a good thing when you're flying the plane, really. So what happens then is the plane started to descend at a rate of 700 feet per minute. He didn't realize that at all that that was happening. He now is at 2,300 feet at 939. His plane then veered to the right and ascended to 2,600 feet and then lurched very sharply to the left. Now, experts believe at this point what happened was that his plane turned upside down. He still doesn't know that. He has this vertigo, and he doesn't realize at all that he's flying upside down. But then, instinctively or whatever, he wants to to pull his plane out of it. Uh, When he's upside down, he pulls on the stick, but what that does is it actually takes him straight down towards the water. It increases his speed, and he's already at a critical point. At this point, when he pulls up on the lever and starts heading straight down to the ocean, he now has reached the point of no return. So what happens then in this is his plane goes into what can be called then a graveyard spiral. Uh, And there are a couple different versions of this. There is what you will call a graveyard spin, which is the blue on your right-hand side, where it would go round and around, it may level out, but because you're disoriented, you pull in the wrong direction, it continues to spiral till it goes down. Now what's worse than that is a graveyard spiral, which uh, can make this arching uh, direction to it in the brown line, but what's happening is, is that you are spinning wing over wing, you're spiraling like a corkscrew as you go down. And it comes to a point, obviously, where you cannot recover from that. And so the plane then corkscrewed straight down into the Atlantic Ocean. Probably the last thing that they saw, if they saw anything at all, was the surface of the ocean. And then they crashed into the surface at 79 feet per second, and all three of them died instantly. Now, in looking at this about a graveyard spiral, I saw another story about a man who just narrowly escaped, pulled out of it with his life. Uh, And from that then, he said that I've learned some lessons that hopefully will help me for that to never happen again. When you're in a small plane, uh, uh, just whatever that may be, just a smaller plane, they fly to lower altitude. So what happens is, is that you become very familiar with actually flying uh, visually. You fly by sight. Uh, And often you will follow markers. Maybe you're flying from one destination to another and you're not all that high in the air, 5,000, 6,000 feet, and you actually follow an interstate along the way. And so you're just flying, but you're following the interstate towards the destination that you're going in. You're really not accustomed to using uh, your controls very much, your instruments very much. So you may also follow along the, the seashore or along some other familiar path. And so you're just simply flying visually. The problem with that is, is that whenever you come into a storm or an unexpected weather condition, now you're in trouble because uh, you can't see visually 
and you're not used to, you're not accustomed to actually flying by your instruments. So the thing that he learns from some wise men, wise people who actually had problems before that was this, that as soon as you are trained and certified to fly on instruments, you force yourself to fly by the instruments. If it's a beautiful day and a clear day and there's no turbulence and hardly any winds at all, you still fly by the instruments. You check your altitude by the instruments, you check your direction by the instruments, and you just simply learn to do that. You check what your wing balance is by the instruments, and you force yourself and you train yourself to fly by the instruments, even though you can see perfectly well visually. The reason for that is, is that at any moment that your conditions change from visual flying, to a storm or in clouds or some other problem, what you do is that you resort to what you have trained yourself to do, and that is that you fly by your instruments and not by sight. Those who fly into bad weather uh, and all they know how to do is to really fly by sight are the ones who often get themselves in trouble. There are times when you're flying as a pilot where you have to trust the instruments even though they make no sense at all. It doesn't make sense, the, the heading or the direction you're going doesn't make sense, uh, the, the pitch, if you would, of the plane itself doesn't make sense, but you just simply trust the instruments. Now, I want to say for us now in the message this morning that it's possible for us to go into a graveyard spiral in the Christian life. I really believe this is what happened to the prodigal son, was that he went into a downward spiral of sin that caused for him great harm. And praise the Lord, just like the second example that I said, the prodigal pulled out of that before he crashed and burned. But many people don't pull out of it in the Christian life, and they just simply crash and burn. Uh, and, and it's tragic and it's unfortunate, but they don't make it uh, from that, and they don't get back to God, and they don't get back to where they're supposed to be. So just like this guy said, you have to learn to fly by instruments when it is good weather so that you know to use the instruments when it's bad weather. For us as a Christian, obviously those instruments is the word of God. Amen? That God gives instruction here about how we're supposed to live our life, about what we're supposed to do, how we conduct ourselves as we go forward day by day. God gives to us uh, all of the instruction that we would need. The Bible often in acrostic, people would say it's a basic instruction before leaving earth. And so the Bible then instructs us about how we're supposed to live in this earthly plane as we are saved and then prepare ourselves to live uh, in the presence of the Lord throughout all of eternity. So I want to say that what can happen if we're not careful is that during times of smooth flying in the Christian life, good weather, beautiful sunlight, you can see exactly where you are, no problems at all. What we tend to do is to take the instrumentality and we lay it to the side. We don't tend to go to it and go to the Word of God and, and put ourselves in the Word of God during good times. So then when the storms of life come, we don't know what to do. We're going to crash in the Christian life because we haven't trained ourselves to do that. Brother Domley, who preached for us year after year, said this years ago, and I love it. Brother Domley said, if you would pray in the good times, like it was bad times, then you would have less bad times. If we would read the Bible in the good times, like it was difficult times, then we would have less difficult times in our life. If we would use God's eternal instrumentality when the weather is good, then we'll do much better when we come 
to the storms. Now, I want us to jump into this, if we would, and to look at some things inside of your bulletin there. There's just a very simple outline, three points there, a word to fill in. And so I want to encourage you, if you would, just to take that as you have it before you fill that in. You might want to write down another verse or two. Uh, a couple of them, as we come towards the end, are going to be real important. We're going to uh, show you the reference and turn to that. And so the first one I want us to see is selfish choices. And then we're looking at the prodigal son, and we're using him now as an example so that we might be able to learn from his life. And we believe then that what happened and what really got the prodigal son off track and going in the wrong direction was because of these selfish choices that he made. I want us to see this, if you would, in the text. What happened now was the younger son was very concerned, overly concerned about himself. He really lived, and I, I use this word some, but he really found himself in a very me-centric position. It's all about me, 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 me. Uh, and so he just thought that everything that happened day by day, uh, he interpreted it all in relationship to how did it affect me. Uh, this is bad, and it affects me in a negative way. Or this is something that's very good, and I am certainly deserving of that good thing in my life. So he got to this point where he really made too much of himself. And so in verse 13, we'll see this. In verse 13, he says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. It says, and he took his journey. I'm, I'm sorry, it's supposed to be verse number 12. And the, younger, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give, what is the next word after that? Me. Father, give me the portion of goods. And so we see here that the son, and he comes to his father. We said last week that no doubt his father was wealthy because he had been very diligent, because he had applied good biblical principles, uh, and certainly he had been very blessed of the Lord. Uh, he had servants and others that were with him. We understand that towards the end of this parable. And so his father had done very, very well. His, his sons had been somewhat faithful to, uh, to him and to the family farm uh, as they had come to this point. But at some point, the younger son really started to drift, and he started to drift off track. And so now he finds himself at this point, and he comes to the father, and he said, I want you to give me, in verse number 12, Father, give me. And then it goes on from that, and then he says, give me specifically the portion of goods that falleth, that falleth to me. The portion of goods that falleth to me. Here's what he really says in the census. He says, Father, I want you to give to me that which is rightfully mine. It's mine. Uh, I, it has my name on it. Uh, it's there for me. It's being reserved for me. It's my money, and I should be able to have it. And so he comes into the Father and says to the Father, I want you to give this to me. Let me just say, if I can, in a careful way, and that is that truly the younger son would have nothing at all if it had not been for the goodness of the Father. Amen. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. But the younger son was in a, a real me point in his life, right? And so then it goes on from that in verse 13 that we jump to, and it says, And not many days after this, uh, it says that he gathered all together. And so now he takes all that's mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, and he's packing his bags, if he would, and he's putting all of that stuff together. I, I want this, and this is mine. And he takes and he gathers it all together. And then right after that, it says that he took his journey. I think that's important just in this sense, because it certainly wasn't a journey that God was leading him into. Amen? 
It was his own will. It was his own choice. It was a direction then that he wanted to go in. Now, I believe that there was a great fault here in his life at this point, and that was that he failed to realize just how good his father was to him. Amen? His father had not failed him in any way. His father had been so good to him. He had many, many blessings in his life because of the father and because of God's goodness to him in his life. And so he failed to, to realize this. He said, this is mine and this is mine. But as I said already, it was only his because of the goodness of God. And so he says, this is mine. But here's something that's important for us to understand. Yes, it was set for him, but truthfully, it was not his at this time. Do you realize that as a child of God, we have many amazing blessings for us. But Ephesians tells us that we have these blessings in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. And so God sets up for us. He reserves for us. Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And so the son, because he had become so self-centered and so selfish uh, in his attitude and the choices that he was making, he failed to realize that all the riches and all the blessing, though it was his, it was not his now. Amen? And sometimes we get really impatient. I don't know if you've noticed this before. But if you say to your kids, you know, well, it's really hot and everything, and we're going to do this at the house, we're going to do this at the house, but later on we're going to take you to get ice cream. Now, when you tell young kids that, later on we're going to take you for ice cream, when do they think later on is? Now. Amen? If you have little kids, you know that. They don't, if there's something they really want, they have no concept of later on. Well, we were supposed to clean the house first. You're supposed to clean your room first. I should not have told you this because we're going for ice cream later on, but we're not going right now. But if we find ourselves really in a position of a lot of selfishness, then we really want everything right now. Give it to me now. And that's exactly what that younger son said to his father. You know, his father had been so, so good to him. And it blessed him in so many ways. But the fact of the matter is, is that the younger son, just like the older son, had some responsibilities in life that he was supposed to be faithful to. Those responsibilities, and we'll talk about the older son later, those responsibilities showed and proved obedience. And those obedience brought more blessings down the road. But the younger son short-circuited God's plan for their life and really messed it up. Now with that, we see selfish choices, but then also we see sinful actions. The selfish choices that the younger son made certainly then led to sinful actions. We'll see also then in verse 13, a list of some of the sinful actions. It says in verse number 13, and not many days after that. So the younger son goes to his dad, and he says to his dad, I want you to give me all of my inheritance, and I want it right now. Now, the father was a loving father, and he loved his sons, and he cared about them, and his heart was really set upon his sons, and he wanted to be a blessing to them. And so the father then takes that, which the younger son is asking for, and he gives to him that inheritance. Then the Bible says to us clearly, it was not many days after that that the younger son launches out then 
on this journey in the wrong direction. Now, you can't tell me, listen, you can't tell me that the younger son had not plotted his departure already. Amen? He said, I'm done with working on the farm. I'm done with getting up early, working from sun up until sundown. I'm done with all this hard work. I, I don't want to do this. I don't want this lifestyle anymore. I want to escape from this. And in order to escape from this, I got to have some cash on hand. So I'm going to go to daddy and convince him to give me my inheritance now. And that's exactly what he did. So he goes then to him and he says to dad, give it to me now. It says then after that, when he gathered all of it together he took his journey into a far country he went away from the will of God he went away from the people of God and he went into the world he went into a sinful path or a sinful direction it made me think about Abraham and Lot and Lot then was being raised by Abraham and Abraham was so blessed of God and, and Abraham was so good to Lot. And the fact of the matter is, is that Lot had it so good at being a part of Abraham's family. But again, Lot went in this very same sinful direction. He started making selfish choices. Those selfish choices started to lead to sinful actions in his life. So Genesis 13, in verse number 12, it says this, that Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Now that was God's will, and that was where God had for Abraham and for his people. So Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. So here's Abraham in the will of God, and Lot says, I'm tired of this. This is too straight. This is too narrow for me. This life is too limiting. And I want to experience life. And I want to have all the fun that life could offer me. And so Lot then takes the cattle. And the cattle was very much because of a blessing of Abraham. God's blessing was really on Abraham. And so he takes all this cattle and he moves and he goes down into the well-watered plains. And he pitches his tent and the door opens facing the sinful people and the sinful deeds of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he placed himself right in the world. That's what happened to Lot, and that's what happened to the younger son, that they go off into the foreign land. It tells us in verse 13 that he wasted all of his substance. That inheritance that he goes to his dad and says, I want that inheritance. Now he had squandered it all. He wasted it all uh, on a lifestyle that was wicked and selfish and self-centered and sinful. In fact, it tells us that it was riotous living. That riotous then means certainly fleshly. It means sinful, if you would. And it also is something that is very unlawful. Um, like a riot. And riots, you know, for the most part are not peaceful. They're actually unlawful. Amen? And so he wasted then his substance on riotous living, it tells us. And so all of this then were the sinful actions that took place in the life of this uh, younger son. And so we see then again that he had as it started out with is selfish choices. Me, 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 me. 
And then from that, it goes on forward then to sinful actions. And there's one action after another after another as he descends in this direction and going away from God. Write down this third point, if you would, and we'll spend a little bit more time here at this place. And that is that he begins then to spiral out of control. And again, as we said about John F. Kennedy Jr., that he was flying along and he knew really that he shouldn't have been there because of his experience and his skill level. He shouldn't have been where he was at. And then when he lost visibility and when he was not able to see the lights and not able to see the direction that he was going in, he became very disoriented. But the part that's important for us to understand is that then he began to spiral out of control. Now, there's a couple of really important things that we're going to look at here that relates to that. But I would say that every, every one of us would think, uh, preacher, it's okay. Preacher, I can handle it. Preacher, I can handle a little bit of the world, a little bit of the fun of the world, a little bit of the adventure of the world. I can handle it and I will be okay. And I want to say that when someone leaves off to fly, certainly they would believe the very same thing. They wouldn't take off knowing I'm going to crash and die in this flight. They wouldn't do that at all. But what happens is, is that one circumstance leads to another and leads to another. And then you can find yourself out of control. Actually on a collision course, and the fact of the matter is, is that try as hard as you can, you in and of yourself will not recover from the disaster that lies ahead. And so with that, I want us, if you would, to turn to James. Turn to the book of James, if you would, in chapter number one. This is so important for us to see in James in chapter number one. Because again, we would say, you know, we would say, I'm okay. Look, there's no problem here. Uh, I, I can handle this and I'll be okay. But in James in chapter number one, the Bible tells us in verse number 12, Towards the end of your Bible now in the book of James 1 and then chapter number, in verse number 12. It says, blessed is the man, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, that's an important verse and it's really powerful. But let me just assure you of this. There is none of us in this room who can consistently get victory over temptation in our own power. We can't do it in of ourselves. We can't do it without God's help. Just look at a world out of control all around us and you watch the news and it just gets crazier and crazier. I was born in 61. Imagine if you were to take somebody from 1950, from 1960, 1970, and bring them forward to today, or even just a few months ago, and have them turn on the news and to see all the craziness of it, they'd probably have a heart attack right on the spot. It's like, what in the world happened? We gotta be in the tribulation period when you look at the news where we are today. And there are many people we didn't necessarily plan on being there. But I want to promise you when temptation comes in our life, we're not going to get victory over it by ourselves. It's, it's a God thing, amen? we got to have God to help us in this. You cannot live your life successfully in this sin-cursed world without the help and the power of God. So let's see what happens in the flesh. It goes on from there. It says, let no man say when he is tempted... Now, if we endure temptation, if we get victory over temptation, it's because of the power of God. 
But let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So if temptation doesn't come from God, then who does temptation come from? The devil. Temptation now is a solicitation to do evil. Where the devil places something in front of us that looks very enticing. And the devil, of course, is trying to get us to disobey and to fall into sin. And so it says then, in verse number 14, it says, um, But every man is tempted... When he is drawn away of his own lusts. Now what's interesting here is it deals then with selfish choices. If it feels good, do it. Uh, this is what I want. I'm missing out in opportunities by living the Christian life. And I want to do my thing and live the way I want to live. So don't remind me or tell me about what the Bible says because I want to live my life my way. And so in verse 14 it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, when lust hath conceived, so when lust, when you think about something and imagine and dream on something, uh, wrong or unlawful and think on it and dream on it uh, and, and meditate on that thing it is only a matter of time before that lust takes root in your mind, in your heart and you act on whatever it is that you desire you'll act on it, right? and so it says, when lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin and sin, when it is finished bringeth forth what now? death, you know what you call that? You call that, in aviation terms, a graveyard spiral. You taught, you, what that means is, is that you're going out of control, faster and faster towards destruction. You may think that you have control, and you may be sure that you can pull that plane up before it crashes in the ground. But I want to promise you that there comes a point where you are absolutely not in control. And in your own flesh and in your own ability, you will not pull out of it. You will continue to go in that downward spiral of sin. You'll continue to go in that direction. We often use this uh, as an example of fishing. Now... Uh, my son-in-law, Joshua, was talking to Kyle, so Jeremy and Sarah's Kyle, uh, and Kyle was saying about how much he liked to go fishing. Uh, and so Josh said them, uh, if you just simply uh, like to go fishing, then you can go with Grandpa or me. But if you actually want to catch something, you have to go with somebody else. Now, I thought, you know, I resemble that remark, Amen. But what happens is, in order for the fishermen to catch something, is they would take a pole, the line, and a hook, and they would take that hook, and they would actually disguise it with something that is very appealing to the fish. So you take a worm, and you feed that onto the hook, and you cast that out, let that set there, and the unexpected fish comes along, and of course they're feeding and eating almost all the time, and they see that worm. Now there's no fish that says, I want to grab a hook, I want to get pulled out of the water, and then I want to be in a frying pan for supper tonight. No fish ever says that. All the fish wants to do is grab the worm. The problem is, is because Satan has baited that hook, that worm has a hook in it for the child of God, and Satan wants to hook us, and he wants to reel us in, and he wants to destroy our life. So we need to understand that there really is this temptation that the devil uses then to, to bring that or to build that out of 
the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the flesh that we have. Now, look, if you would, from James to the book of Galatians. So turn back towards the front of your Bible again and go to and find, if you would, the book of Galatians. And we want to see chapter number six. So the reason why this is true is because it plays off of a really strong life principle that God gives to us, and it's a principle of sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. So what happens again with the younger son, as he's getting up in the morning, he's going with his older brother, they're going out into the field, they're working the field, they're feeding the animals, they're doing all the daily chores they're supposed to do. Now the older son, and we'll talk about him later, he just goes forward and he's doing the right thing. But the younger son, all the time he's going forward, he's in the field, but his heart is in the foreign land. Amen? And so his heart is far from there. You might have heard the story before, but the mama was correcting her daughter, and, and she wanted to put her in time out in order to try to be able to get her attention. So the mama said to the girl, sit down. And she was rebellious and she stood there. The mama said, sit down. And she just stood there. The mama said, I said, sit down right now. And so the girl then sits down. And the mama says to the girl, thank you for obeying me. The girl smarts off to her mama and she says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And this is what it was with the younger brother. He was in the field with his physical body, but his heart was partying in a foreign land. And listen to me that it's always a dangerous place for the child of God. It is always the beginning of sorrows for the child of God. Is that you are in church, you are a Christian trying to live the Christian life, but your heart is someplace far, far away in the world. And so we see then in Galatians chapter number 6 and then in verse number 7. Galatians chapter 6 and in verse number 7, the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now it really drills in very personal here, verse number 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap what now? Corruption. Now, James chapter 1 said, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Amen? And so here it says that sowing to the flesh brings, reaps corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Listen to this statement. Your first day in sin is your best day and it gets worse every day after that. Down and down and down. Well, listen to me. Your first day as a child of God is the hardest, but it gets sweeter and sweeter as you live for God day by day. And so there's a principle of sowing. Sowing to the flesh will bring corruption. Sowing to the spirit will bring life everlasting. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I want you not only have eternal life in heaven, but I want you to have a better life here because God knows better about how to do this life than we do. And God wants better for you than you want for yourself. 
And so we understand that there's a principle then of sowing and reaping. We understand that it's a very real thing. It's very real. And that God wants to help us as we go forward. Let me just encourage us in this as the child of God. What's a really important lesson that we could learn from the younger brother? Listen to this. Stay in the father's field. It was the will of God. It was the place of obedience. It was the place of blessing, as we said already. Stay in the Father's field. In John chapter 4, and verse number 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And so God calls us to stay in his field, to stay after souls, to be growing the Lord, and trying to live the Christian life as we go forward to be concerned and burdened about the lost and be trying to see other people saved as we go forward in the Christian life, God calls us to work in his field. We read in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, but here's verse number 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Might I say that the younger brother fainted along the way. He didn't make it successfully to the end, living for God. But he fainted along the way. His desire for the things of the world were too great. The allurement of the world was so strong in his life. And it pulled at him and pulled at him. And it drew him away from God, out of the field of his father, and into this strange and foreign land, living for his personal flesh and not for the things of God. Listen to me, this is so sad. The young brother... The younger son comes to his dad and said, give me my inheritance now. He got that now and he went and he spent it and he squandered it and it was all gone. Now listen, the younger son was still a child of the father. But the younger son and the older son will have a very different eternity. They'll both be with the Father. But the Bible tells us that it's possible for all of our works to be, to be burned up in the judgment. And we will be, listen to this, saved as by fire. We're still saved and we're still going to heaven. But all the rewards that God so desired for us will all be burnt up. Because we chose to live after the lusts of this world and not to stay in the Father's field. Amen? Now I want to say that that's, that's a problem. That's a problem and something that we need to learn from. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, it's talking about the Old Testament and it says, Now all these things happened unto them for an example. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Why do we see all of the bad choices and sinful choices that they made in the Old Testament, the children of Israel? Because we were supposed to look at that and learn from that. Why do we have the lesson of the prodigal son? So that, listen to me now, so that we don't have to be a prodigal ourselves. We can learn by somebody else's failures. And we don't have to experience that. Now, if we have experienced that, let me assure you that the good place, the blessed place, is with the Father. 
and not to depart on your own or to run away from him. Hi, this is Brent Lenentine. And before we go, I want to say thank you for listening to this podcast. It is our prayer that today's message has encouraged and helped you. If you have any questions about how to be saved or your Christian walk, we would love to connect with you. Please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. If you live in the greater Albuquerque area and don't have a church home, we hope that you'll visit with us soon at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Rio Rancho. And if you do have a church home, then I pray that you are able to attend there. Every person needs to be faithful and accountable in a local church where they can grow and serve. This podcast is a supplement to your spiritual growth and let it encourage you to be more for Christ. Again, our website is gospellightbaptist.org. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in today. If you were listening for the first time, we believe the most important decision you could ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal way. To find out more about that, please visit gospellightbaptist.org slash Jesus. If you are a regular listener, we want to thank you for your time, and we would ask that you subscribe to this podcast, and also take a moment to share it with others on social media. Until next time, may God richly bless you.